Welcome to the March 11th, 2021 meeting of the Science Fiction Company, uh, I was going to say company, um, Science Fiction Club. Um, so, um, yeah, we have a few people here, Martin and Roger. And um, Traditionally, Roger has gone first, so if you want to keep with the tradition, Roger... You, do you want to keep with that tradition? I'm, I'm not much one for tradition, but oh, I, may, okay. I may as well go first as long as you're calling on me. Okay, sure. Okay, I unless will, somebody objects, yeah, I don't think anybody I, will. I will bring you new writings in SF2 edited by John Carnell, mm. which I got from Bookshare. It was a submission by that proem africa and it was rated as an excellent condition and as a matter of fact i found absolutely no flaws in it so no need to do a quality report on that one but um the claim of being new writings in sf is kind of belied by the fact that it was originally published in 1964 <laughs> and the um the edition that I read was the Bantam edition, the Amer American edition, uh, published in 1966. Uh, where it gets the word new is that these stories had never been published before. Most anthologies, especially science fiction anthologies, reprint stories that have been published in magazine form before. And this series started um, the new practice of publishing stories that were written especially for the anthology by established science fiction authors and they wrote them by invitation. It is British, so um, the names of the authors may not be that well known. They are all British authors. and. This was a series. That, well, the, what I bring you, what I've read for you this time is new writings in SF2, but I think it continued all the way up to uh, a volume 30. I don't think there were any volumes after that, but at least the 30. Um, they are, there's no real theme to them. We lost you. Is anybody else here? Yeah. Yeah, we're here. Okay, it was it was just him. I was I thought it might have been my connection. We lost you, Roger. He jinxed himself by mm. saying that we couldn't hear him before. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. Well, hopefully he can hear us and he'll stop. Uh, yeah. He'll stop talking. We may have to re restart us. We may have to re. Yeah. yeah. Who knows? Hope I don't know with this Zoom. I've never had to do that, but. But it could could be necessary. Yeah, you just cut off right in the middle of the word there. That's too bad. Well, as opposed to having dead air, can you hear me now. Yes, we can hear you. Yeah, okay. we lost you there for some <clears throat> Apparently, what happened was that the Zoom software informed me that there was an update, and that shut me up. And I had to find a button that says maybe later. How far oh. did I get before I was cut off? 
Oh, you didn't. You got. You just said that the the writings went up to thirty, and that there was no real theme to them. Okay, then. Uh, um, then okay, you didn't miss much. I can take no. over where I left off there. Um, there is no theme. None of the stories have anything to do with each other, and as you skip from volume to volume, there is little relationship between the stories either. So what this amounted to, uh, this series of anthologies kind of amounted to being a magazine, so to speak, in that uh, most fiction magazines publish a different stories that are not related to each other or don't have a common theme except that they are in a certain genre and is a different set every issue so i suppose i don't know if these volumes were published on a schedule or not but it really amounts to a magazine i guess in any case in the particular volume i bring you there were eight stories by British science fiction authors. Um, two of them kind of stand out to me. One was, I believe the title was Hell Planet, and I forget the author of that one right offhand. But it followed, I think maybe when it was originally published, the theme was kind of new, but I have run into this theme and a sub-theme to it um, over the years, many times, I kind of call it anthropological science fiction. That is a science fiction story in which space aliens are encountered and there are misunderstandings or else interaction having to do with differences in culture. And frankly, most of those kind of uh, anthropological science fiction, I think, could just as easily have been written about a clash of cultures between two cultures on Earth, human cultures and such. Uh, there's linguistics misunderstandings, and then there are cultural misunderstandings, and sometimes it can lead to big conflicts and sometimes just be humorous or what have you. In this particular one, Elf Planet, there was even a sub-theme to that theme. And that is where space aliens encounter Earth, and they are absolutely astounded at the cultural practices that Earth people have. And in this case, it was a an alien ship was crippled and had found detected Earth and was coming in on the backside of the moon so that the Earth people could not detect them, but um, they were observing Earth, listening to radio signal and television signals and such, and learning <clears throat> a lot about the culture of Earth. And by the way, you may as well say they were learning a lot about the culture of Great Britain, um, which was similar to North American culture, because, um, well, I guess probably because that's where the author was from, and he just seems to assume that these cultural practices are the same all over Earth. But <clears throat> they are astounded at things like um, Earth people spend their whole entire lives working and working and working hard and all of that for this strange 
fictional thing called money. <laughs> and they also are astounded at um, earthly marriage practices and, well, various other things. They also find out they are astounded that humans of Earth seem to live no longer than about 80 years or so. They consider that a very short lifespan. But along the way, I learned that these space aliens actually seem to be human themselves. They look like human, they act like humans, except they have a different culture, obviously. And they had encountered other planets that had beings on them that they called simians. And they thought that um, Earth was going to be inhabited by simians too, but these simians of Earth turn out to be more like themselves. And then I'm going to have to say, I must have missed something here. Uh, maybe it was a moment of inattentiveness or whatever. But along, well, I'm just kind of disdainful of the story for assuming that space aliens would not just look like humans but actually be humans when there was a reference to their having parted from Earth. Their ancestors had parted from Earth thousands of years before. And I didn't quite get under what circumstances they had departed Earth. But uh, in some of these stories like that, uh, humans are kidnapped over the millennia or something and form a, a culture, an extraterrestrial culture of their own. But I'm thinking I must have missed something. In any case, and another story in the collection that I've, uh, it was, this was the one with a bit of humor in it. It was called the Round Billiard Table. Now, I'll tell you that despite the title, billiard tables really don't figure much into it. The title comes from one character is um, making kind of a point to another and using an example of a round billiard table. And then that's skipped over and it goes on with the story. But what the story is actually about is that there is the scientist who has discovered a way to make things invisible. But the trouble is, this invisibility process that he's come up with really doesn't have much use for anything but a parlor trick. Um, it works on the basis of changing the polarity in a crystalline structure. So uh, you can bet that they're not going to have any invisible men walking around or anything because it's just the human body is too complex and not crystalline enough to be made invisible with this process. And in fact, pretty much the only thing he seems to be able to make invisible is glass, which is almost invisible yeah. anyway. But he comes to some kind of a conference and shows off his new invention. He has a um, container full of glass marbles and he makes the marbles invisible and lets people stick their hands into the container where they can feel the marbles and so on, but they can't see them. And 
<clears throat> he will take his marbles away from that conference and by the next day they will no longer be invisible they will have reverted to glass marbles that you can see and that's another problem with this invisibility it doesn't last um it seems to last with some pieces of glass longer than others basically what it comes down to is the harder the glass the longer the invisibility will last in any case somebody brings to the scientist a guy who has heard about his invention and wants to see it for himself so he starts to get out the marbles to show how it works and the guy said no 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 wait I brought my own marbles I want to see you turn my marbles invisible he says well fine so he turns them invisible and the guy looks all happy and takes off in a few days maybe it's a week he comes back and complains that they are still invisible and the scientist said well I've never seen glass stay this invisible invisible this long before um, <clears throat> it does happen to be that the harder the glass the longer it will stay invisible but I don't think we have any glass hard enough to stay invisible that long and well it turns out the guy with the glass marbles was a diamond smuggler and he had turned his um, diamonds invisible so that he could smuggle them and diamonds just happened to be the hardest substance known to humanity so <laughs> it's cute maybe stuck with invisible <clears throat> forever <laughs> and in any case there are um, there are let's see six seven yeah about six more stories they um a little quaint they're all a little quaint because they were published nearly 60 years ago and they still have um a little bit of the taint of the golden age left in them but i'd say generally speaking they're all readable they're all worth reading and so yeah i, I guess i can recommend this book so there you have it Oh, okay. Well, yeah, the British are some of my favorite writers were British. Arthur C. Clarke and Olaf Stapledon and um, I guess some more modern ones. Uh, Ken Brian McLeod. Altus? What's that? Brian Altus is British, I think. Yeah, no? he's British, but he wasn't one of my favorites. Oh, whoops. He did some, he did some good stuff, but mm. um, earlier... But, um, yeah, he was British. Uh, there's quite a lot of them, actually. Of course, H.G. Wells was British. Um, so, yeah, a lot of British writers. Good ones. Well, David, you had, don't come that much. I better get you in yeah. quickly before I meant it's to too late. Come. I meant to come more <laughs> often. I wasn't feeling well in February. I've read Ready Player Two, having read the first one a few years ago by oh. Ernest Klein. It's interesting. I don't find I like the first one better, I guess, because it was a new idea in some ways. Did you, and I loved all the who, culture references to the 80s. Did I what? 
who was reviewed that on the DB review? Center Ready player. Ready yeah, player. somebody reviewed that on the and uh, no, I had Brian. I just, somebody, I think I just read it. it might have been Brian. Um, yeah, Altire, it was not maybe. a good review. Um, yeah, he um, he did. It is derivative, but it was okay. I mean, the premise is that this big network that um, everybody was plugged into, the the guy who um, <clears throat> um, the the rich guy who had this big quest that they had the the that the five had solved. Um, he's of course gone in the set. He's good. He's gone in the first book too, but the guy, the people from the first book now have learned that that guy's company invented a process where if you wear a helmet, your brain is directly stimulated. You, you interact with the virtual world without needing goggles or a haptic rig. This helmet you wear goes directly into your brain, creepy kind of, and to come to find out there is a um an artificial intelligence based on the guy who owned the original company only this this intelligence is flawed so he he traps all these people in the virtual world and they have to solve a quest and bring the seven shards of a crystal together wherein is entrapped the woman he has always wanted to have as his girlfriend who married someone else so it's basically a virtual adventure and it has lots and lots of 80s musical and cultural references. It was interesting to a point. Wait a minute. You did you mention that it's Neil it's Neil Stevenson, right? No, this is Ernest not, Klein. Ernest Klein? Yeah, he wrote I'm thinking of another book. Yeah, you're thinking reviewed. of you might be thinking of the Diamond Age or of the one where the people are dead in this virtual world. I don't yep. know what it was called. Oh that's okay. the one that's the one I know Brian reviewed that one on DVD. Yeah. Didn't like it at all. I couldn't finish that one either. That mm-hmm. one was weird. This is a different author, slightly oh, okay. different premise. It's basically a virtual reality world where you interact directly with it. You don't use goggles or a haptic rig. You literally wear a wear a helmet. The helmet scans your brain and then interacts directly with it, and you're sort of in a sleep state while you're doing all of this. And it's how the rogue AI, based on the original billionaire owner, um, mm-hmm. holds holds like 500 million people hostage who have logged in to this actual virtual reality world. And it's how the original five, the five people who had solved the original quest in the first book now have to outsmart this guy and they do, and it tells you how. And there, like I said, there are lots of pop references to a lot of John Hughes movies, like Pretty in Pink, The Breakfast Club, movies I don't recall very well. And there's some Prince songs and some other music that some music I don't remember. It's it would be it'll be a great book for all the people who love the 1980s and remember that as part of their childhood. I'm sure the movie will come out. The first one just came out, and I'm sure the second Ready Player Two will probably be not long behind it. Because I'm sure Hollywood, with its love of sequels, will not want to miss that. So Ooh. it was relatively interesting. And that was the big science fiction book that I read recently. I was trying to think if there was anything else I had read that I liked better. And um, not not overly, really. I have read a few sort of space opera things, but I kept thinking of something you had said Evan, where it sounds like they sort of set in the 24th century, but they sort of use 21st or 22nd century technology. I'm thinking of one. It was the Olive something, the Olive 
what was it called? Mm-hmm. The Aleph Affair. Maybe that was the second book in a series, and it's just sort of mm-hmm. sort of space opera ish. Yeah, I like space opera. Depending, it can be fun. You know, it can be a lot they of fun. It can be fun. Um, you just because can't there take are themes it. in it that I enjoy. Yeah, um, but it uh, depends on who does it and uh, how well it's done. And as you say, um, a lot of times you see people in ships, you know, traversing the galaxy, and you know they don't have technology as good or not much better than what we have here, and it doesn't make and, a lot of sense. And yet they can time jump through space wormholes. Right. You think if they can do that, they yeah. ought to have all sorts of technology. They ought to have an iPhone 20 or something that can talk <laughs> and that can think and everything, but they don't. Um, but uh, yeah, I got to think of that Stevenson book now. It's going to bug me until I find it, but I'll have to Google it later because I uh, know it was I'll, a similar thing. It read like a fantasy, um, but and it was of course like Stevenson's books these days. It was very long, uh, thirty hours or something like that. So I'll have to find it. Um, anyway, um, Neil, um, Jim, Jim, do you do you have a do you want to say because you haven't been here that often? Are you uh, here Evan, still, Evan? Is it fall or dodge in hell? That's it. Yep. I just looked it up for you. That's it. Yeah, that was it. Uh, and, uh, that was yeah, weird. Yeah. I and, and, uh, it. Yeah, I read the plot and I didn't think it sounded very good. I, I Stevenson is one of those authors that I would really like to like. Uh, and I did like Snow Crash and the Diamond Age. But I then the Diamond kinda, Age. He kind of went off on a, you didn't? And I did. The Diamond Age was pretty good. The Cryptonomicon, I couldn't get into. There were three books in that, and I wanted to like. They sounded very, uh, very intellectual and very clever, but almost too much. Yeah, he he just goes on at great length. I mean, it's like he has to put all the research he does into yeah, every book. Yeah, I mean, the Cryptonomicon had the like Baroque things, and then it had stuff now, and it all tied back into Newton. I mean, it, it was the enormous book. Yeah. And, and I tried reading Anathem, but I could never get into that one. And I wanted I to tried. I couldn't do it either. I really was, wanted to. It sounded so interesting. Yeah, and Seven Eves sounded interesting. I read too, that but, one. That was strange. I did read that yeah. one. It was strange. But I just didn't think that after thousands of years, the humans had really had done that much, you know, had really progressed that much. I'm, no. I was kind of surprised, you know. So... Um, is Neil, is Jim still here? I was going to call on him because he hasn't been here that often. But if not, um, who wants to go next? I suppose I could. Okay, Martin. You always. You oh, I'm here, usually, uh, Alan. Oh, Jim, do you want to? Yeah, I, I didn't realize I was muted. Oh, you are <laughs> muted. Or I was, you know. You Sorry about now. that. You are yeah. now. Okay, a um, couple things. I the book I read was an old one. It was a compilation of stories by Robert Sheckley. It was called Notions Unlimited. Uh, many the majority of the stories, I think all of them stories, were published in the fifties. The book actually came out in nineteen sixty, but the stories were published in Galaxy Magazine. Um, and, uh, first story is, uh, gray flannel armor. Um, and 
all these stories, they have kind of a little twist at the end. You know, I read this book when I was a kid. Like, I think I was like 12 years old when I read it. But um, the theme of the first story, it's like, it's almost like science fiction. The theme of the first story is about a guy <coughs> joining a dating service. And uh, it puts him into these different situations where he has to rescue a woman and, uh, you know, they fall in love, blah, blah, blah. And then he keeps doing this over and over again because he's not satisfied with the different women he meets. And then turns out that he goes to one of his aunts that had a um, niece or some another relation. They meet and fall in love. So the upshot of it is that all these agencies find all these old maiden ends to introduce couples together. Hmm. Um, you know, was uh, it better, did it, did it sound better than that when you read it or it didn't sound a good little bit, me, you know, <laughs> it, it, you know, it was, is that on board think, or is that what Bookshare? that's on Bookshare? Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I Robert think he's Sheffield. more of a whimsical kind of writer. Yeah, isn't he? Yeah, I mean, he we is. got a book in Braille, I remember, and I didn't read it. Because I wasn't uh, into okay. that kind of science fiction back sure, then. I'm still not. Sure. But there was a book in our Braille library that Robert Sheckley, okay. I don't know if it was a collection, but it was called Can You Feel Anything When I Do This? Oh, yeah. That was the title. And I, said, I don't know. I don't know. That doesn't yeah, like yeah, yeah. I read, but but, but I, I know I, he was popular. I, he still yeah. may be popular. Uh, well, not anymore. He's dead. Uh, but, well, uh, I mean, he's still, well, he can still <laughs> yeah. be popular. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he passed away. Yeah, I think in well, I guess twenty oh nine or twenty eighteen. Oh, no, I don't man. think it was. Been that yeah, long. yeah. Uh, wow. I think, or it might have been twenty eighteen. I can't recall right offhand. But uh, yeah. another story was about uh, this alien creature that uh, lands on Earth and absorbs everything and turns it in. You know, gets bigger and bigger, and they're afraid it's going to eat the Earth eventually. And they get it out of the space and destroy it, supposedly destroy it with a nuclear weapon, but it doesn't get destroyed. It just splits into smaller and smaller parts and goes off through the galaxy, you know. Oh, great. Yeah, yeah. Oh, humanity yeah. strikes again. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> and there's another story about these uh, guys that are traveling in a ship and they stop at this one planet. And they think, oh, we discovered this planet. Everybody on the planet had starved to death. They land on a space station because they're exploring it. And they, one of them gets sucked into the space station, and he's controlling the space station. The other one gets absorbed, and they're making him into... Uh, they're copying him into different versions of himself, and they all become food for the dead people on the planet, you know. Wow. Uh, <laughs> there's another one about this guy and his wife. Um, they want to defraud the insurance companies. Uh, you can travel back in time, but you have to be careful because, uh, you know, you can affect different things and you can't travel more than a thousand years back. And he comes, he meets one of his ancestors back in time and educates him. And they decide to defraud the insurance company because they said he was doubled, and, you know, it's, mm -hmm. uh, it turns out he really was doubled, but he didn't know it because there's a third guy 
that uh, came back with them because of the doubling effect. And, you know, um, but I, I read it mainly because I had read it before when I was younger. I wanted to read it again. That's all. You know? Yeah, I've done that uh, for books. You know, yeah. Uh, I wasn't sure, you know, if I was would like it again or, or, um, or if I really did like it. That reminds uh, yeah, me. Lot, it, was, it was. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, a lot of the stories just have a little twist at the end, you know. Some of my favorite yeah. stuff uh, was from uh, uh, Galaxy back when I was a kid because we got the Braille magazines oh, in our yeah. library from the 60s. And I was older, though, but I could go back and read these things. Yeah. A bunch, you know, some shelves with the old 60s magazines on. I could, And then they started sending it out in Talking Book in the 70s. Yeah, yeah. And there was some real junk in there, I remember. But some really good stuff, too. There's a couple of Heinleins in Galaxy. Galaxy. Well, yeah, and the, the Herbert's, the Dosati experiment was serialized yeah. there. And yeah. I think some Niven and Pornell right. yeah. stuff was in there. And Oh, there was a, a lot of, it was a shame when that magazine folded. It was a yeah. really good magazine. Because I remember uh, being in the middle of a series when it folded. Oh, great. Oh. That's yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was it was bad. It was nice know. of them. Yeah. yeah. Well, we can't finish the series because then you'd know we were leaving you. Yeah. We gotta do it in the middle so you're not prepared. Uh, and we don't have to say goodbye. Right, right. Oh man. But anyway, yeah, I, I really like that magazine. Um, which magazine was that again? Galaxy. 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 Oh, yeah. It was a and then the library magazine, then the library overall. picked up analog. Yep. And they started doing that. And, Which was okay, but not as good. Yeah. I don't think it was as good as Galaxy. No. I never thought no, it was. No. Because it was Analog, very conservative I, in a lot of ways. Yeah. I mean, uh, 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 here's the thing. Galaxy was more like Asimov's in that the variety of stories was greater. So your chances of getting a bad story were, be were, were better than in Analog. But your chances of getting a really fantastic story were better, too. Yeah. Uh, Analog had a kind of a... Uh, a narrower selection. I, I mean, their I story think, had to be really kind of more engineering oriented and kind of like. I think like, what what you are talking about are the tastes of Stanley Smith, the editor. Yes, yes, exactly. because that's when he was editing. I forget I when Ben right. Bova stopped for thirty. Years. No longer the editor. Yeah. So yeah. You know, right. You might I find that. Take a look at it again. Yeah. I haven't yeah. read it for a long time. You know that series, that radio series called X minus one. Took a lot no. of stories from Galaxy. Yes. Yeah. Now, I, if if I can go back for just a minute to that uh, Robert Sheckley book, he uh, wrote a story called Watchbirds, and that was put out, I think, in X minus one. They did it on the radio. I remember hearing it, and the premise behind that was these Watchbirds were supposed to prevent anybody from being harmed well it turns out they didn't you know they they stopped a lot of violent crimes <coughs> pardon me but then the the programming wasn't completely thought out because it stopped an execution of a, a criminal uh it stopped people from hunting and they <laughs> stopped people wow. from uh you know harvesting crops because that was taking a life, and <clears throat> then they decided, all right, we're going to put something else out to stop these watchbirds, and they put out these things called hawks. 
that were supposed to uh, be able to outthink the watchbirds and just deactivate them. And, you know, you, you guys can guess what happened after uh -oh. that. Yeah. yeah. I think I'm getting the idea. Yeah. Things got out of hand. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, I, I think that's a lot of his stories are like that. Well, I, it, to be completely fair, and I should, I have to be completely fair because I have to give credit to Analog because they did publish in the 80s two of my favorite novels, um, The Peace War and Marooned in Real Time by Werner Vinge. So I will give them credit. For I that. don't remember. Overall, overall Analog is, has not been, you know, the greatest. No, and they did, well, they did publish a, 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 a serial I wanted to reread again called Shuttle Down. Yeah, I read Corey. that years ago. Yeah. I, 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 I understand that is that's kind of analog fair. That's pretty standard yeah. for them. It wasn't as far out as no some of the other stuff, which I liked better. But I get, I know that was Lee Corey. Yeah, who was G. Uh, Harry Stein, G. Harry Stein. Who himself wrote a famous essay called "Science Fiction Is Too Conservative." Yeah, uh, which was a great essay. It was a classic. Mm -hmm. you know about why science fiction needed to stretch more and i agreed with it completely um martin can we go do you do you have i'm going to go on to martin because it's 936 oh my gosh i i talked too much no you didn't uh, oh no, so, you okay. didn't. we want to get everybody right. in. we don't want all we right, don't want right. just a few sentences yeah maybe i talk too much <laughs> that's all right oh, well. you give i mean if i i can't give details i'll talk like very little <laughs> Just talk really fast. I mean, all right. Basically, I, I, actually, I read <laughs> I read three books during this uh, during this month. I think. Um, oh my! I think I I'm going to talk briefly about Jurassic Park because I you know I I, I first I, I listened to the movie without auto, audible description. Or audio oh my description. god! Then I oh, heard no. it in with audio description, and then I decided to read the book. <laughs> it really filled out a lot of things that the movie didn't talk about, and I, I in the beginning it, it got it was a little boring with some parts of where they went to a lot of theory. Some of the characters, uh, this one character talked a lot about hypothesis about different scientific theories. But basically, what I liked about the book was a description of you know of the of the dinosaurs and. And it was a lot of adventure, you know. These people almost got eaten a number of times, and some of, some of them were eaten by some of the different species, like the uh, Tyrannosaurus Rex. In the movie, it was quite graphic the way it was depicted, but in the book, it went into much more detail. And the very and the whole idea was that these dinosaurs weren't supposed to reproduce; they were all females, and the, and they were going to stay in this park, and it would be a great novelty for children to come. But somehow they, they factored in some DNA from amphibians, and apparently they were able, you know, to reproduce being of the same sex. And they started to find out that these dinosaurs were appearing, some of them, on the mainland, because this island was yeah. on Costa Rica. So they started right. on the mainland. Um, and uh, it turns out that that one of the one of the employees was 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 had decided to steal some of the eggs of, of from what they were developing sell them and earn a lot of money and to do that he changed the system the computer system and it turned out the computer system there was a storm coming a thing 
turned off completely and all the dinosaurs got loose on the island and were chasing people around. Uh, and after a lot, some of the main characters were killed, but the, the main the two children and and there was a um, anthro uh, um, uh, what do you call them? One who studied anthropologist, not an anthropologist, but the one who studied dinosaurs. Uh, paleontologist. paleontologist, right? They they survived, and and and, and then the uh, they managed the, the whole idea was to try to prevent a ship, the supply ship, from to get to the mainland because they noticed some of these raptors. I forget the total name of the ruin. Very intelligent dinosaurs about six feet tall who hunted in packs and they had got on the ship some of them and they were afraid they were going to get to the mainland so the whole struggle was to try to prevent that from happening and finally they were able to stop it and the, and the Costa Rican Air Force came and it took the survivors off and they blew up the island and killed yeah. however oh. it turns out that they the, the main characters were not allowed to return from Costa Rica because the government was concerned because some strange Things were happening in the jungles of Costa Rica, and basically, the uh, I, I think there's a pre a, 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 a new movie, another movie about it. And I was hoping there'd be something on board with the a sequel to Jurassic Park, but I didn't see it. Yeah, there's several um, movies that were done after that, right? Uh, two and three, animals, and these animals and managed to get to the to the mainland and and and, and, and reproduce. But what happened at yeah. you know? But I, I enjoyed it. it. Was it some of it was very exciting? Some of the parts of it. So I, mm. I also read two other books, but I think I'll save them for our, our next meeting. Okay, all right. Um. Well, gee, that was quick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I shouldn't have told anybody what the time was. Um, Sherry. Yes. I read Space Station Down by Ben Bova and Doug Beeson. And that it was, was good. It was good, um, yeah. Uh, the premise is that some terrorists take over the space station and kill everyone except one woman, Kimberly, who manages to isolate herself in a pod. And the terrorists intend to crash the space station into New York. And the book is mostly a battle of wits she's trying to figure out how to outsmart them by using the computer she has or even going outside to change the propulsion direction and they're of course wanting to kill her and she's wanting to kill them and they're trying to direct the space station the way they want it and meanwhile on earth they're talking about maybe destroying the space station when it's over the pacific because they don't realize she's there once they realize she's there, then that raises ethical issues of whether or not to destroy it or give her a chance to um, fix things. Or then they also send out somebody to help her out. And I really enjoyed it. The science was interesting. A lot of computer stuff. How can I do this? A lot of propulsion stuff. Um, a lot of suspense with her trying to sneak out and maybe kill them and vice versa and how she can isolate herself with the vacuum and stuff like that. So I thought it was pretty good. I, I liked it. Bova is known for hard SF. The late doctor, yeah. the late doctor Ben Bova is known for hard SF. I wonder if he has other stuff 
notes that we may see come out later. He he was doing that grand tour series, and I think we got as far as the uh, the Moon Titan. I don't know if he was ever planning to do Neptune or anything, but I know that that universe has books like Mercury, Venus. It has a trilogy set in the asteroids. It has Jupiter, Saturn, Titan. There are a couple of Mars books, and I can't remember if they're in that universe or not. He also had Colony and Millennium, but those are in a different universe. Yeah. And then, yeah, the, then he did then he did uh the Asteroids War, which is a four yeah, book series. That ties into and, the Grand Tour series. Yeah, and I kinda thought, you know, I read them all. Oh. But I kinda thought, you know, they could have done this all in just one, one or two books, you know. Hey, it was, he had a contract. <laughs> all right. <laughs> yeah. <all right>. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding, but that's yeah. probably what happened. He hey, buddy, can you stretch this out over three or four books? Yeah, right, right. He wrote something called The High Road. It was nonfiction. It was looking at four possible futures. He wrote it in 19, 1983. Yeah. And I remember rereading it, re it a few years ago and finding it interesting and wondering what he thought about the world today. But uh, he's no longer with us to tell us. Mm. I think he was in his 80s. He wrote, he wrote yeah. for even young people. There's a, a trilogy about the exiles, these geneticists who were banished from Earth. Oh, it's yeah. It's, it's the spaceship they're flying. Right. It's a series of interlocking rings with the with the center ring being the smallest with the further toward the center of the the rings you go the more the gravity is and it is yeah, how they find a new planet in the third book and how they go they settle it so he did do he did do that he, he in other words he has written some stuff for young people escape was another one and the city of city of darkness about new york city so he was very prolific his the weather makers as on a dark I remember that one plane, I yeah, love the had, title, As on a Darkling Plane. Yeah, that one was good, too. I love that one I enjoyed. I was like 12 yeah. or 13 at the time. I liked right. it, but I don't remember much about it now. It had something to do with people on on the play, on Titan, maybe. I yeah. There was in, I, well, I, well, there was something something going into the Juvian atmosphere yeah, that right. was, at one time. I, yeah, I remember it. that pretty vividly. I just love that was the really title. well described. Yeah. And then they found these alien star maps and stuff, and I can't remember yes. what happened, though. I just love no. the title. And he and Gordon R. Dixon did one called Gremlins. I, mm. I think it was called Gremlins, something about a spaceship oh. and Gremlin. Little, it was maybe, I don't know if they have Gremlins were little people or what it was, but he and Gordon R. Dixon did that. I swear I remember it from many mm. years ago. But you just have to love a title as on a darkling plane. It just sounds so <laughs> exotic. It sounds like the title of an old, like Renaissance book or I know. 18th yeah. century book by somebody, it does. you know, a British Bova author, was good. Or, Bova was or a line was from a poem. Right, you know, that's what like, I thought. Like a line from Keats or, uh, or Shelley or something. Yeah, he was a good writer. Yeah, this book had just the right amount of science for me. It wasn't so detailed that I glazed over and got bored, and it was detailed enough that it was interesting. He's right after the, the, the grand trio of Asimov, Clark, and Heinlein. I think Bova was in the next group with Frederick Pohl and some of the, I think they were in the next oh, okay. tier. If I'm not yeah. mistaken, they were in the next tier. Well, yeah, I, I was not as big on these guys. I just wanted, you know, I, I want different things. And the book I, did I talk about The Invincible by... Stanislaw Lamb at some point because I read it last year and then I think I got sidetracked and I never talked about it. But this is more of the kind of book I like. Um, 
as you today would probably call it weird because it is um, it, technically, I suppose. Um, but this is a book that he wrote. I didn't know he sold like 40 million books or something like that. I read Crap. looking it up in Wikipedia. I had guy? no idea he, yeah. he was so popular. The Polish yeah, guy? The Polish guy, yeah. He wrote some humorous stuff, but he also wrote some really serious stuff. And he wrote four books, at least four that I know of. Solaris is probably the most famous. And his view was that we are very unlikely to encounter aliens that we will be able to understand or even communicate with. Oh no. Some of his views were more, some of his books were more pessimistic than others. Um, Eden might be the most optimistic, but it wasn't that. A fiasco, of course, you can guess by the title, is the most pessimistic. Solaris was somewhere in the middle. I didn't know there were made three movies out of that. I've, I haven't seen one of them, but I'm tempted to try to look one up and see, you know, but they made three movies out of that book. That was about the ocean that may or may not have been intelligent. It, oh, yeah. It's still ambiguous even didn't up to the, the end. Didn't oh. we read that, Evan, about four years yes, ago? Yes, we, we did that book. But this is in the similar theme. Oh. Uh, but it is, and I'm not going to, I'm not spoiling it because if you read the introduction uh, by Catherine Hales, um it's okay uh, a ship disappears on this planet and so they send out a rescue ship to try to find out what happened to it you know that's pretty standard you know sf plot so far um so they find the the ship on the planet and everybody's dead but they're the, the whole ship is disordered and messed up and people are you know and doing strange you know, strange expressions and because it's cold you know, they, they didn't decompose too much. Um, and um, they they um, encounter, they, they go exploring, and this is always good because, you know, Stanislaw Lem is really good at describing uh, strange things and landscapes and stuff, and he creates it. And they encounter these small insect-like creatures um but you learn it as in in the introduction that they are not living insects they're actually machines and they're totally black because they live on solar power live so to speak on solar power so they don't fly too much at night um but during the day they they swarm into gigantic you know and they um they uh, attacked the ship and they were able to cause electrical damage to the brain and cause these people to behave strangely but then they die and um so the um the theory that one of the characters comes up with is that and there there is an alien race that they is not, ex not existing now but they found the ruins of this alien race uh that died out millions of years ago and their theory is that one of their ships landed on this planet and some of the machines were capable of self-repairing but over millions of years some of the repairs worked better and some of them worked not so good it was almost like an analog to evolution and some of the machines got smaller and smaller because it's the most efficient way to um, get energy is you know to become smaller and and to move around if you're 
can receive solar energy, you can, and, but some of the machines became larger and more sedentary. And they thought they were, at first they thought they were exploring an alien city, but later on they realized that these are just, these are the remains of old machines that had evolved in a more sedentary direction. And some of them still seem to be capable of, you know, uh, activity. Um, but the theme is that we really do not, and we could not understand if these machines are just protecting themselves, if they actually feel threatened, or if they're just reacting to competitors because they feel that you know they're you know these machines are, you know, our the, the human ships are competing with them for resources. You know, there's no way to communicate with them. Um, they seem to be able to coordinate themselves when they swarm, but individually they have, you know, no intelligence at all or hardly any. So um, the whole idea is, you know, to try to, you know, decide because some of their crew get lost and there's a conflict between, you know, the main character and the captain at first about, you know, whether to try to rescue these people or leave them you know, and because they, they cannot defeat these swarms, there are millions or billions of them, and they just come together and they overwhelm anything, you know, that they can, that they encounter. Um, so part of the drama is whether, you know, and, and one of the guys, the main character goes out to try to account for the people that were missing when they were on an expedition. And he, um, well, I don't want to spoil it too much. I've already spoiled it somewhat, but it's really a book about, you know, how alien aliens might be, you know, and what we maybe, maybe there's nothing we can do. And as Catherine Hales quotes at the beginning of, you know, one of the characters, and this is something I, I remember um, and think about sometimes, and it, it would be nice for a lot more people to remember it is, one of the characters said that not everything is made for man. In other words, man, you know, there's not everything we can understand. It's yeah, everything yeah. We can control, you know. Um, so it was a really, I really enjoyed the book a lot. Um, even though the ending is, you know, they, they, they account for the explorers and they leave and they decide not to visit this planet again. They just have to leave it yeah. alone. Because there's no way, you know, they can't communicate with these machines. They can't live there, obviously. Um, so, um, but that, that, that's kind of the end of it. And that was kind of his theme. I'm going to read Fiasco here soon and see what that's about. But that's, that's the other book that he wrote in this, in this kind of similar theme about, you know, the real, what really alien aliens might be like and how we just, we may not be able to communicate or even understand what motivates them. Uh, that's really fascinating. So that's my book, The Invincible by Stanislaw Lem. And it's not on Bard. It's on Bookshare in a good publisher quality version. Uh, try it out. I wish there were a way to filter out, you know, a lot of the educational stuff. Because when you look at the new book listings, it's oh my god, you can spend all day going through them. I don't. I never do it anymore. I tried it, and I got three thousand books in the last week yeah. or something like that. I said that's hopeless. And when you um, look, and when you do a search for science fiction, you get 
science fiction and fantasy. I know. Yeah, we are fighting a losing battle, Roger. Yeah. We'll tell you all about that. Yeah, I'm sure. We are we are in the vast minority on this. Apparently, right. we're swimming against the tide that yeah. has been going on for decades, if not longer. People are conflating science fiction and fantasy everywhere you look. Yeah. And even, it's even the Hugo bad. Awards are going to fantasy books for a long time now. Oh, wow. oh I didn't want to hear that. Oh, <laughs> I, don't no. keep to, I don't keep track of them all the time, but that's. Uh, that's very disappointing to hear. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's because it's been it's been for a number of years now that all these fantasy books are winning Hugo awards. Yeah, yeah that's they, tragic. They need There's to have their certainly own. enough science fiction out there that they could, yeah. pick, you know, they could pick Hugos from just science, regular science fiction. Have you guys tried the Bainey Books website? Not recently. No, is there still new? Is there new stuff going up there, or is it old? Yeah, yeah, they're still putting up their maybe ARCs, their advanced reader copies. Oh, and maybe I need to go up there and look. Yeah, um, I used to download books for Bain, but yeah, now I started noticing those same books uh, were showing up as publisher quality books on Bookshare. Okay, so I said, "Good grief." I yeah for one stop shopping so I just gave up Bane. Uh huh. Okay. Yeah, and uh, those F SF Gateway books are are on Bookshare too. I don't know if all of them are, but I'm not familiar I, with I've that. I've gotten a few of those. Yeah, last, uh, last month I you did one. one of those. Yeah, and I just down and I uh, all of Stapleton's are from the SF Gateway too, and I think mm -hmm. uh, uh, Stanislaw Lem, some of his books are up on the SF Gateway. I forgot to mention this book, The Invincible, that I just reviewed was from 1964. Oh, wow. 1964. And yeah, he was extremely imaginative, you know, even back then uh, about, you know, machine evolution and these tiny insectal like machines swarming and, you know, evolving and stuff. That's that's really um, pretty advanced, you know, back then. That was yeah, there was a time. There was a you guy know, I used Norman to talk to about it, but no, yeah. not many other people. Did. Yeah, there was a guy I used to talk to, um, and he had a theory that before the Vietnam War, a lot of the science fiction that was published was more about Earth being, you know, the head of the galactic yeah. so-called empire. And then after the Vietnam War, it was like, okay, now Earth is just now a minor, you know player in all this stuff and the uh, extraterrestrials, if you will, are now the ones in charge, you know. <laughs> I said, I hadn't really noticed that, but okay, mm -hmm. you know. Well, and I, I think SF is so big now that you yeah. don't find any trend. I mean, even Asimov back in the 40s, I mean, the foundation, how often did the foundation mention earth i mean earth was barely yeah, yeah. you know a memory in the foundation <laughs> yeah. trilogy well he started that in pebble in the sky in yeah the and he, he said somebody wrote uh, wrote to him or so it was in a magazine article and said isaac come home since he, was, he had forgotten <laughs> earth actually, actually in the foundation in the foundation series um earth was the earth as the home of humanity was so far in the past that they didn't even uh -huh. know about it they were actually there was actually a character who was studying 
the origins of humanity to figure out where they actually came from. Oh, I'd forgotten oh, that. Uh, it's been a long, it's been decades well, since I read it. I'd forgotten that, but I knew it was barely mentioned, if at all. Yeah. Um, uh, Earth. Um, so, yeah, it was, it, even back then, you could, there were people who yeah. left Earth. I, I never read that series. <laughs> I don't know why. It just I thought it was good. never grabbed me. Yeah. I thought it was good. I mean, uh -huh. I, I enjoyed it. It's it's a collection of short stories, really, that he pasted oh. together into novels oh, okay. later on. Oh, they were good stories. They were good. I noticed something though. There was the Foundation trilogy, which yeah was a collection of short stories and compiled into three novels. And then, many many years later, in his old age, he started to add to the Foundation trilogy by writing new foundation novels right and frankly the writing style was so different that it was as if it was a different author wow mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah and then other people wrote foundation books too yeah i knew i saw that uh, greg saw bear that. or benford yeah. one of those yeah. Gregs wrote yeah. foundation work and um so i don't know i i read one of them i can't remember which one now mm -hmm. um James D. Lotel read it though. I remember. Oh, I, I have I, a hard time reading books that he narrates. Really, reads. I like yeah. him. That see, that just shows y'all taste differ. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, and if there's like a Star Trek book or a Heinlein book that he's read, I had to really think twice if I'm going to read that. Yeah, that's interesting. There was a thread on the Bard Talk list not too long ago about how, you know, people couldn't stand, you know, Roy Avers, and I thought he was one of no, my favorites. I, I, I always liked him. And I didn't like Kristen Allison, and some people thought she was just wonderful. And, mm -hmm. I mean, it really tells you, you know, everybody's the got their own. Yeah, a lot in narrators. Yeah. You know, I'll just mention the next Science Fiction Club meeting will be on Thursday, May 13th, 2021. Okay. 